morning. Welcome you to worship this morning at First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are with us today, and we welcome you, and we uh, welcome all of you who worship with us by live stream or by television broadcast today. We are grateful for you. If you're a guest in our sanctuary, we invite you to find a visitor information card. It should be there in the pew rack in front of you. Take just a moment, if you would, to find that card and complete it. And a little bit later in our service, the offering plate will go by. And you drop that card in the offering plate, and we're so grateful for that to know that you visited with us. There's also a QR code on the back of our bulletin. You can certainly uh, register that way with us and let us know that you're here. We are grateful for that. 
Following our service, our pastor will be out the exit by the organ, just a few steps down the hallway in our welcome center. Dr. Batson will be there. We'll also have a group of people there who can assist you in finding a Bible study class or answer any questions you might have about First Baptist Church. We are so grateful for your visit today. God bless you as we worship him together. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. If you're using the Bible in the pew found in front of you, it's found on page 996. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along, picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Will you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful to be in your house today, to worship with brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you would help us to grow closer to you this morning during this time together. We are so grateful that you're the Lord at all times. God, in the moments of our lives that we celebrate, you are there, and in the moments that we are, we are down, you are walking with us. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. He's going to be right here at the front waiting for you, Pastor's Pals. We're going to sing Living Hope as they come. Let's sing. How great the chasm that lay between us. just like today but his hand was withered and he came to the place of worship and his hand it wouldn't work right it wouldn't move and the religious men the Pharisees were staring they wondered would Jesus heal his hand on this day 
because you weren't supposed to do any work on the Lord's day. And they thought healing the man's hand would equal work. So they watch. They're watching to see if Jesus is going to do that. And Jesus calls the man forward. And Jesus says, is it okay to give life and not to give death on the Lord's day? Isn't it okay to heal? He told the man, arise. And the man's hand became normal and it began to work. And it made the Pharisees mad. They were more worried about the rules than they were the man. And Jesus says, it's always a good day to do good. It is always a good day to do good. Let's pray. God, remind us today that it is always a good day, even on God's day, to do good. Amen.
Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we are again grateful that we are able to come together here in your house again this morning to praise you and to worship you in all your holiness. Father, may we be receptive to your word this morning, your holy word, as Dr. Batson brings us his message of your free gift of salvation, that by asking Jesus Christ into our hearts as our personal Lord and Savior, we may be we may be able to spend eternal life with you in heaven. Father, we are so thankful for all of our church staff here at First Baptist as they minister to us throughout the week, helping us to grow and to mature in our Christian faith. Father, we, and be with our missionaries who are spread throughout the world following your great commission. Be with them, O Lord, as they follow the great commission in, in telling others about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, be, we continue to ask for your prayers for the men and women in the armed forces as, as they are deployed throughout the world, protecting our freedom. May you wrap your arms around them and protect them from harm. And give strength and healing to our family members and friends who are ill and suffering, Lord. Be especially with those who have lost loved ones. Lord, may, may we be good stewards of all that you've, with all that you have entrusted to us as we come now to return a portion of these many blessings to you. We pray these things in, in our name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you so much, orchestra, choir, and Dan Parker, instrumentalists for our beautiful, beautiful worship today. Turn your Bibles to the Mark and Gospel, Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at a portion of Mark chapter 2 as well as the beginning of Mark chapter 3. For holiness or healing. Is the Sabbath for holiness or for healing? Two Sabbath controversies back to back. You remember that the chapter divisions are artificial. They're not in the original book of Mark. So don't be bothered by ones in chapter 2 and ones in chapter 3. You have to wonder, what were they doing there in the first place? Seems sort of silly that the Pharisees would organize themselves into groups and spend their Sabbath in Galilee grain fields in the hopes of catching someone transgressing. I'm not sure how, but I'm sure they did it. The Pharisees caught the disciples plucking grain as they sauntered through the field. Now the law. The law in Deuteronomy permitted anyone, especially the needy, as long as you didn't use a sickle, as long as you were using your hands, a hungry man could glean some grain from the field of his wealthy neighbor. And yet, it was a Sabbath that changed things according to the Pharisees. They classified even this small hand harvesting as a violation of the Sabbath tradition. And when the pupils make a misstep, they turn to the master, the rabbi, for he has to deal with the matter. So they don't talk to the disciples. They go straight to Jesus. Look at verse 24. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Apparently, their motivation for harvesting was hunger. They were hungry. And Jesus, knowing his scripture well, recalls that Davidic David's precedent. In other words, Jesus is about to tell them, if David can do it, so can I. If David can do it, so can I. You remember that story in the Old Testament? In Exodus 25, David ate the bread of the presence, the showbread, the most holy portion of the offering. That was not to be eaten, only to be eaten by no one else but the priest in the holy place. Now, Scripture does not condemn David. Scripture does not condemn David's men for eating the bread for their hunger. You remember these, bread, these loaves were called in Exodus 25. They were called the bread of presence or the presentation bread or the show bread or the consecrated bread. Whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, weekly they were put on the table in the sanctuary as an offering, a most holy offering to God. New, New Testament uses the terms the loaves of presentation as they were presented there to the table. The loaves, the old loaves were rotated weekly and only the priests were allowed to eat them. And David is on the run. David is scared for his life. You remember the story? And David is hungry and his men are hungry and they eat the bread of presence. Now why doesn't scripture criticize David, not yet king, for eating the holy bread? Because David is no, David is no ordinary hungry man. 
He will become the king of Israel. He is an ancestor of the Messiah. He's a type of king Messiah. His authority legitimated his actions. And if the bread of presence could be set aside for David as he fled for his life, how much more can the holy regulations be set aside for Jesus, who Mark will present later as David's Lord? Jesus is about to say, if David can do it, I'm David's Lord, then I can do it too. In fact, in Mark chapter 12, quoting David, Mark's gospel says, the Lord, that is Yahweh or God, the Lord said to my Lord, that is to Jesus the Messiah, the Lord said to my Lord, Jesus Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls the one who's in the fields with a hand harvesting, David calls him Lord. And if David can do it, then surely David's Lord can do it. In David's lineage he may be, but David's Lord so is he. In David's lineage he may be, but David's Lord so is he. And if David can do it, David's Lord, an ancestor certainly can. And the second part of the argument, look at verse 27. And Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God created the idea of Sabbath for the well-being of humanity. Sabbath was to be a gracious gift from the daily grind and toll of hard labor. So when you make the Sabbath a burden, you reveal your ignorance about God's own purposes for the Sabbath in the first place. What do we learn from these two Sabbath stories, a withered hand and the plucking of grain on the Lord's day? Now remember, in Mark chapter 2, in fact, in this whole gospel, the priority is showing that Jesus is God, that he shares the power and prerogatives of God. You remember earlier in chapter 2, four faithful friends let down the paralytic through the home, tearing a hole in the roof. And Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. And the religious leaders, the same ones offended by the hand harvesting of the Sabbath, they say, now wait a minute, what did he say? Did he just say your sins are forgiven you? He can't say that. Only God can say your sins are forgiven. If he's forgiving sins... Then this rabbi from Galilee is saying he is God. Well, that was exactly what he was saying. He knows what's in the hearts, and he says, well, I'll just say arise and walk. And when he arises and walks, you will know not only can I heal him, but also like God, I have the authority to forgive him. Jesus can pardon like God pardons. And now he's saying just like God, he can forgive sins, but he's also Lord over the Sabbath. He is the Lord over the Sabbath. Look at verse 28. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord. He's Lord even over the Sabbath. He's Lord over David. He's Lord over the Sabbath. He can forgive sins. Well, the first thing we learn, Jesus has superiority over the Sabbath. Jesus has superiority over 
the Sabbath. God himself had established the sacredness of the Sabbath. Therefore, God himself in Jesus could modify the Sabbath observance. At the core of ancient Israel's commands, we read these words in Exodus 20. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he rested. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made that day holy. Now, Jesus himself claims to have the authority to redefine what it means, even means, to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Like God forgives, I can forgive. Like God set up the Sabbath, I can redefine the Sabbath, Jesus is saying. It's a bold statement, a, a bold statement of affirmation of the authority and the power of God. The Son of Man decrees what is lawful and unlawful, what is permissible and what is unpermissible on the holy day. And the customs and traditions, not even God's, by now they were just piling them on. The Pharisees had made up. They are thereby rendered null and void by the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus doesn't care what they think about his disciples. Hungry disciples, like David's hungry men, gathering a little grain well, there's a second thing we learn in these stories. It comes from the second story of the withered hand. In chapter 3, in the first six verses, Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he goes to the synagogue, of course, on the Sabbath. And there's a man there with a withered hand, an image of paralysis. The same guys who hang around the Galilean grain fields to make sure that no rabbis are reaping on the Sabbath are also watching Jesus to see if he would indeed heal on the holy day. Now here's the oddity of the whole story. They don't even question his power and authority to heal. They know he has the power to heal. Why would you be going against a rabbi who had the power to heal the withered hand? They don't even ask the question, will he heal? Can he heal? He's always proven it over and over again. This rabbi can heal the withered hand. And so instead of celebrating that anyone sick in the, in the synagogue that day might be healed, they're focused on the fact that he's healing on the Sabbath. They know he can heal. It's such an irony that they don't even ask the question. His authority to heal is unquestioned. Why, in chapter 2, he'd made a paralytic walk by forgiving his, sin, his sins. They had already conceded his ability to heal. But will he, will he do it on the Sabbath? How blind could one possibly be? Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered again the synagogue, and a man was there with the withered hand. And they were watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, he knew they were watching, rise, come forward. And he said to them, isn't it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill. But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was 
restored. Second thing I want you to see is this. Listen carefully. What makes you angry reveals, reveals who you are. What makes you angry reveals who you are. There are two angry characters in this story. Jesus is angry and the Pharisees are angry. They're angry about different things. What makes you angry reveals something about who you are. The Pharisees are ready to kill Jesus because a man with a withered hand is healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus is angry at them, verse 5, because they have hard hearts and they've lost the celebration of the healing and the restoration of the man's hand over some tradition man-made manufactured. So what makes you angry? The Pharisees are bothered that Jesus is doing good on God's day. So Jesus asks them the question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to, to save a life or to kill a life? Saving a life, healing overrules the traditions of the Sabbath. The discussion emerges, if something were life-threatening, then you might could take care of it on the Sabbath, but a withered hand had been there a while. If not life-threatening, then you shouldn't attend to it until the next day. That was their rule. That was the glasses through which they, the lens through which they saw the story. You see, some Jews wouldn't even pick up the sword to defend themselves on the Sabbath. They might be slaughtered by the Syrians because they wouldn't pick up the sword on the Sabbath. It was silly what they had done to themselves. So Jesus asked them, what do you do on the Sabbath? Good or harm? Give life? Take a life? I want you to notice verse 4, they are silent. Jesus is a master debater and he has cornered them by saying, do you want me to kill somebody on the Sabbath? Can I do that? Can I give life? Do good? Do bad? He's asking them in front of the crowd, asking them, take your position on the Sabbath. All would be celebrating the family of the man. All around him, his neighbors and friends would be celebrating the restoration of his withered hands. So he asks them, is this a bad thing? They're silent. Jesus in the Mark and Gospel will do it again in Mark chapter 11. He is the master of silencing his opponents. But the question remains, what is the origin of our anger? Are we mad at injustice? Are we angry at unrighteousness? Or are we jealous and we have selfish anger because we feel slighted? What makes us angry. Look at the source of your anger and it'll tell you something about who you are. There's a third thing I want you to see. The man of the withered hand is nothing compared to the withered soul of these self-appointed examiners. The withered hand of the man is nothing compared to the withered soul of these self-appointed examiners. Doing good is never limited to certain days. Even on the Sabbath, we have to make the right choice for healing humanity. Suffering should always be alleviated at, at any and all times. It's ridiculous that these self-appointed guardians of the Sabbath are arguing. They're arguing, Mark says, with the Lord of the Sabbath. He sets the rules. He's Lord even of the Sabbath. Here's the fourth thing I want to say. And this is a hard one. And I'm pointing the finger at me first here. Be careful about seeing the sin of others and being blind to your own. 
Be careful about seeing the sin of others and being blind to your own. You remember how the story ends. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. And the Pharisees went out immediately and began conspiring with Herodians, the Herodians of all people, against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. The Herodians were the supporters of Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great that you know in the birth narrative. He is the one that arrested John the baptizer and had him beheaded. Yes, he was quite a character. Now here... The holy men, supposedly the Pharisees, are conspiring with the unholy, the Herodians, those who sold their soul to the Romans, just to do Jesus in. Be careful about seeing the sin of others and being blind to your own. They can't see what they're doing. Unlike Jesus, who's not in secret, rather they're doing this in secret. Jesus is working out in the open. He's publicly healing and restoring and forgiving, and they're plotting in secret. They actually form a plot, verse 6, to destroy him. As to how they might destroy him, meaning kill him. Jesus has broken a minor man-made Sabbath tradition. It's not even in Scripture. They themselves are plotting murder over the good healing that is done. It's so easy, easy to see the faults of others and so hard to see the faults of our own. There was a man, an elderly gentleman, having trouble communicating with his wife, his bride of many years, and so he became a self-pointed audiologist. He decided he would give her a hearing test to see why it is she couldn't hear anymore and, and they couldn't communicate. And so he, she was, her couch, she was facing that way, and he came up behind her and he said, can you hear me? No response. He took two or three steps forward and said, can you hear me? Still, see, he's right. She doesn't know anything. Got a little closer. Can you hear me? Took another big step for a fourth time. He said, can you hear me? She said, for the fourth time, yes, I can hear you. <laughs> Y'all laughing. There's some truth to that thing in your own house. Somebody's playing the TV too loudly. <laughs> it's easy to see the faults of others. He was sure it was she. It's hard to see our own. Forbes magazine did a story a few years ago about the RS employees who were receiving bonuses and perks despite the fact that they themselves had refused to pay their own taxes on their own income. How could someone work for the IRS and audit others while he himself fails to pay his taxes? Forbes magazine reported that 1,100, not one, two, or three, 1,100 IRS employees had, were not uh, in tax compliance. Translation, they were not paying, the IRS agents were not paying their own fair share of taxes. And yet that year they received more than a million dollars in cash awards, 10,000 hours of time off in awards, and 69, uh, 69 raises within a year after the IRS substantiated their own tax compliance problem. Translation, they made sure you paid your taxes but refused to pay their own, then took your taxes and gave themselves a raise. Wow. It's so easy to see the sins of others, examine someone else's finances, and you don't look first at your own. Perhaps you and I would do well to examine our own hearts. 
before he began to examine the hearts of others. Here's a, another thing I want to say. Be careful about identifying yourself but what, by what you're against rather than what you're for. Be careful of identifying yourself by what you're against rather than what you're for. The Pharisees, like all pious, this is the end of the day, are, are, there's something like an ill-taught piano student who plays all the right notes in the right order but can't make music. An actor at a low-level movie who woodenly recites all the lines in the script but can't deliver it with any conviction. Like a dancer who can count every step but can never cut loose and just dance. The Pharisees had a fondness for negatives. They had a list. They had memorized the notes. They had memorized the narrative. They had the list of do-nots. Such a religion is so burdensome it never sings. Such a religion is so loathsome that it never exalts. And religious duties, therefore, become an obstacle to God. Sabbath was supposed to be a time to honor God. as a time, the joyful entry into the sacred time. It represented the time before sin when man didn't have to work. The Sabbath was sanctuary in the order of time. It even showed the salvation of Israel. It made Israel different than all the pagan neighbors. They had a day of rest, unlike the pagans. Our Sabbath, our Sundays, not to be treated like any other day, like the pagans of our culture. Rather, we are to live it out as the day of the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. What we do on the Lord's day professes who we are. But the Pharisees had gone too far. They had made Little rules here, little rules there, in such a way. The Sabbath was not identified for what it was, what it was for, the rest of humanity representing God's people before sin. But rather they had seen the Sabbath as what it was a time not to do. Now there are a lot of things I'm against. Don't misunderstand me. I won't start the list because we wouldn't get out of here. I'm against a lot of things. But the question is, do people mostly know you by what you're for or what you're against? Do people mostly know First Baptist Church for what we're for or what we're against? Do they know us by what we promote or what we prohibit? You know, you can't make enough laws to legislate morality. You never can. You have to love people. To lead them to the Christ. It's a good question. It's a scary question. It's a scary question because we might not like the answer. Don't be identified primarily by what you're against. Be identified primarily for what you're for. Here's the sixth thing I want to say. The clash with authority is not over the rules, but over who rules. The clash of authority is not over the little rules, but over who rules. Jesus consistently carries out the law when it confirms to God's intentions. These two stories falling right after Jesus saying, like God, I have the power to forgive sins. They are intended to affirm the rule, but it's really more important who rules. 
I have the power to forgive sins. Jesus says, I am Lord over the Sabbath. It's not about their little rules. It's about who rules. And they cannot stand the fact that Jesus now rules. Here's the last thing I want to say. Don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He is saying the Sabbath is to be used for healing, for doing good. And the doing good does not violate the holiness of God's day. He does not say, oh, forget the Sabbath, it's no big deal. That's all null and void. Now, he does not say that. He never says that. Now, our advertisers are going to tell us that sports are, that the Sabbath of the weekend is made for sports. Not just our advertisers, your club sports organizers are going to tell you that Sunday is a day for sports or a time to catch up on your work or a day to get organized and re redo your closet or a day to sleep in and catch up on your sleep. But that's not the message of historical Christianity. Historical Christianity tells us that our Sabbath, our Sunday, began as a day of worship because it's a day that Jesus came forth from the empty tomb. And starting on that day, it was all transformed from the last day of the week to the first day of the week to Sunday, for it's the day of the resurrection. And ever since that first day of that first empty tomb, the day of the day that Jesus came out of that tomb, God's people have gathered, and they have gathered early, and they have sung hymns, and they have celebrated that death has been defeated, that sin and death have no hold on the people of God, and we will gather in weekly rhythm as part of our lives to say to this world it sets us apart from the pagans that this is his day the day of his resurrection and we will gather with God's people and sing and preach and declare you remember Lily Tomlin a great theologian she was she says the trouble with a rat race is even if you win the race you're still a rat that's some good theology the trouble with entering God's people, treating this day like every other day, you're entering the rat race, and the problem is even if you win, you're still a rat. We must not bow down to the gods of our culture. We must set aside a holy day to do good, to worship, not to be caught in rules and regulations, but in freedom and in joy to worship and praise and exalt the one who came forth from the tomb. The whole point of this pericope is this. He's Lord. He's Lord and he can forgive sins. First part of chapter 2. He's Lord and he can rule over the Sabbath. He's Lord. He can heal a withered hand. He's Lord. The question is, is he your Lord too? Let's pray. Oh, God, what powerful stories. It's so easy to turn our belief and our worship into the do-nots and cannots. Begin to tack on our own little rules and traditions. I'm as guilty as anybody, probably chief among them. And yet we're reminded today that all that matters is that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of this day, the day of his resurrection. 
God, when I've easily seen the sins of others and been blinded to my own transgressions, forgive me. And Father, when I've become angry over the wrong things, forgive me. When we as a church have simply shouted about what we're against rather than loving those that we're for, forgive us. May we worship and love and freedom. May people know us by the love and the grace that we give. Maybe there's someone here today or someone watching by television or someone live streaming who needs to say that Jesus is Lord, to, to pray even now in her heart or his heart. God, I'm a sinner. I need the Lord of the Sabbath. I need a Savior. I confess that he died for my sins. I confess that he rose again on the third day this day and I called him Lord and live for him amen maybe you're here today and you said that prayer and you'd like to come forward and profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior maybe you're here today and you'll be part of our church family these days you can call in to be part of First Baptist you can come forward to be part of First Baptist and maybe you're here today and you're in this sanctuary you'd like, you'd like to come forward or maybe you're watching by live stream or television you'd like to call in this week and and talk about church membership, being part of this church family you're worshiping. Well, let's stand together. We'll be here at the front. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply Just to bring something that's a word that'll bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. Deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my. 
want to remind you about our worship service tonight. Right here at 6 o'clock, right in this room, we will be hosting Amarillo's Opera uh, called Sounds for the Soul. I know many of you have already gotten tickets. You, you need a ticket if possible. If you don't have a ticket and want to come on, you come on. But there is a ticket table on the second floor right out here. And uh, there'll be someone there today. If you have tickets you're not using, be sure to drop those off at that table. And then uh, if you need tickets, you pick them up at that table. And, and if we run short of tickets and you want to be here, you, you come on and be a part of that tonight. Wednesday night, we have our, our first family meal. We're going to be right across the way in our gym. Our, our uh, menu this week is Young Bloods Pot Roast. It kind of melts in your mouth. So you want to be here for that. Be sure to let us know you're coming by noon tomorrow. Speaking of food, we're also going to have breakfast here uh, this coming Saturday. Now, if we can find another day to have lunch, we'll have it made, won't we? But this coming Saturday, we have our men's breakfast, and it will be at 9 o'clock right here. Young Bloods is also catering that breakfast. And men, today is the day. We need to know you're coming. So be sure and find Tom Ferran, and uh, make sure that Tom knows that you're going to be here for that. We've already got a great group of men, and we're excited about that. On this same Saturday, this coming Saturday, we have the men's event that morning, and then we have our parenting event on Saturday night and Sunday morning. So it's called a Confident Parenting, and we want you to be here for that, parents, and so be sure to sign up. You can do that today in your Sunday school classes, or you can contact our young adult uh, ministry for that, but we want you to be a part of that. It's going to be a great time together, and we encourage that. One last word, and that is a reminder that next Sunday is the in-gathering day for Undy Sunday. It's the big day that we're gathering all of our new underwear. And uh, let me just say a brief word about Undy Sunday. Some of you caught it. You're very good today. Our undies that we collect will go to our Perkins Center and that distributes clothing to folks in our community. And this year we've decided if someone is a golfer, we're going to give them two pair of undies for when they play golf just in case they get a hole in one. I want to ask the bakers to join me, Jonathan and Hallie and big sister Bonnie and Jonathan Bennett. Let's pray together. Well, God, we thank you for the gift that Bennett is to this family, but also this church family. I pray for Jonathan, for Hallie, that you'll lead them to lead their children to know the stories of faith. And we covenant with them to teach them those stories. May Bonnie, so precious already, walk a good path of discipleship that makes it easy for Bennett to follow. Father, we pray that you'll protect Bennett physically and emotionally and spiritually. Father, we pray that you'll open up the windows of heaven and give him every gift that we don't even know to ask for. Father, most of all, we long for that day when he will say, I'm a sinner and Jesus is my Lord. Amen. May blessings be upon you, precious baby. May favor rest upon your family. Great. We are buddies now. Yeah.
can be seated. Thank you. Last of rushings to come up here. Norman and I be rushing. He just retired from Central Baptist Church in Pampa and coming and be part of our church family. Pastor, we're so delighted that you guys come to be a part of our church family. Master Channings to come up here. We have Corey and Lexi and Emerson and Avery and Cambria Chaney coming to be a part of our church family. They've been visiting with us for some time. We know them and love them already. I know you'll join me in saying to those who come this morning, we've got one more. We have Barbara and Maston Courtney call in. So at Barbara and Maston Courtney, longtime members, we love them greatly. So these and the Courtney's join me in saying to all of them, welcome to the family. Stand together for our closing prayer. Tonight is a, a concert style. There'll be some religious things, some secular things as part of the worship. It's uh, a thing we're doing with Amarillo Opera. If you need tickets, they're in the table out there. We invite you to come. Let's close with a prayer. Father, may this church always stand by what we're for. We're for Jesus, his story, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his love, his grace, and we're on his mission. We certainly have to stand against some things, but they never define us. We're against them because we're for something else. In the name of Jesus, we rejoice. Amen.